Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let's uh, talk about Canadian health care. 6.5 million Canadians out of a population of 40 million have no primary care or family physician. Now, that's up from 5 million. I had the good fortune of benefiting from the personal dedication of Canadian healthcare professionals while hospitalized earlier this year. And that's likely a story repeated across this country of ours. Nevertheless, there remain hundreds of thousands of delayed surgical procedures, and we've talked about that throughout 2023, with past presidents of the Canadian Medical Association. And there are also delays for treatment for illnesses including cancers and cardiac concerns with patients on lengthy wait lists. Quite a few illnesses are not being addressed as they should be. So the question is, what were the greatest challenges and what were the healthcare achievements of 2023? And what is absolutely most necessary to markedly improve healthcare delivery in 2024? Dr. Kathleen Ross is the president of the Canadian Medical Association. Dr. Ross is a family physician in Coquitlam and New Westminster, British Columbia. Dr. Ross, thank you for coming on. How are you? Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. I almost like to ask doctors how they are. Because I don't think too many patients walk into your office and say, how are, how are you? Let me tell you how I am. They don't ask you how you are. Actually, you know what? There's been a rise in patients asking how we are when they come in to see us in the last, uh, in the last year, for sure. So that's, that's promising. But uh, yeah, that's definitely challenging out there. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that as we, uh, as we go through our segment. 6.5 million Canadians have no primary care or family doctor, same thing. Um, the impact on those Canadians and the healthcare system, I want to talk to you about that as well. But first of all, why don't 6.5 million Canadians have access to a family doctor? What happened? What created that dynamic? Oh, this has been a, a crisis decades in the making, you know, back, back to 1990 when we saw cuts in, in training programs and hospital beds and, uh, and support for resources and community care. This, is, this has been a long time arriving, but there's actually also been an, an increase in complexity in the patients that we see, uh, you know, an aging population and, uh, and just simply more complex patients and higher administrative burden that decreases our capacity to to interact with uh, with patients day to day, these all culminate in uh, in a challenge meeting the meeting the needs of Canadians, and and we need more support. Mm -hmm. When it was five million without a family doctor, and I was speaking to your predecessors about that, I couldn't imagine that would it would increase by one and a half million. Certainly not a dynamic that we continue. But how is this impact of six point five million Canadians? not having access to a primary care physician. How is that being felt throughout the healthcare system? What's, what's the impact of that? Well, of course, the family medicine is the, is the foundation of our healthcare system. That's your, your front door when you go and you have challenges in your current health and you want to work to improve your future health. But if you don't have access to those front door, longitudinal relationship-based uh, care models, then, then you're less likely to maintain good health and, and you're less likely to have early diagnosis for, for diseases such as cardiac disease and, and certainly cancer and cancer screening, even upstream preventative health. Let's talk about improving diet and exercise, childhood uh, development and, and vaccination programs. These are all things 
that are delivered in that uh, in that primary care home. Uh, and without access, unfortunately, we'll we'll see the health of the population decline. Mm-hmm. I suspect that there are listeners to this program right across Canada right now who are in that dynamic. They don't have a family doctor, and they're probably just not accessing health care when they otherwise would, if they could. Not not taking anything away from walk-in clinics, but it's good to have the human relationship with a doctor. Can you uh, share with us, please, uh, let's go through the bad news. It's always a good news, bad news scenario. What are some of the most troubling realities and developments in 2023 as far as you're concerned, as far as healthcare delivery in Canada is concerned? So you hit the nail on the head with the, with the question around access. And certainly access to primary care is, uh, is something near and dear to my heart as a primary care provider. And and having family members that haven't been able to find a family physician to look after them either. So I feel this on a real, on a real day-to-day basis. But the, uh, the access is also a challenge for things like surgical uh, access, for cancer screening, for cancer treatment. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, with the high, high demand on our emergency department, we've seen them overwhelmed and, uh, and suffering from a shortage of resources as well. Those of us on the front line providing that care day in and day out uh, are paying a high toll, and, and we continue to burn out uh, both physicians and, and other allied health, including our, our nursing colleagues. This is, a, this is a tremendous challenge when we're faced to carrying the weight of a system that's, uh, that's actually crumbling around us. You're losing doctors to retirement or relocation in, in to, large numbers, correct? And to leave altogether. I think that this is, this, is one of the, uh, this is one of the challenges that we have, particularly in family medicine. Where the high costs of a you know and and, uh, and administrative burdens are running a running an individual practice are are just too overwhelming and many are choosing to leave the profession altogether. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me, I think it was uh, one of your predecessors on this program, that it's increasingly difficult to attract young doctors to family medicine or medical students to uh, to uh, dedicate themselves to family medicine. Is that true? So it is more challenging, and we've definitely seen a drop in the number of medical graduates in Canada choosing family medicine. Uh, in the six years between 2015 and, and 22, we uh, we dropped from 38.5% to just 31% of uh, new grads choosing family medicine. And that's a frightening statistic on its own, but when you realize that the average age of, of Canadian family doctors is over 50, that uh, that's a worrisome number. Yeah. I, don't, I keep telling you what I heard, but... This is what I've heard a number of times, and that is doctors are retiring more quickly than the average population. So doctors get to retirement age or retirement mood more quickly than the average population, which is not a good development if it continues. No, I agree. And we need to find a way to support healthcare workers. Uh, and I'm obviously, I'm uh, on board completely with supporting physicians, but in supporting our team members, our, supporting our nurses and our, uh, and our other allied health that work with us on a regular basis equally important. Uh, we're a huge proponent of, of a team-based care model. And those of us that work in the hospital have had that luxury of working in a team with nurses and, and unit clerks and other you know, pharmacists and physios and yeah, you name it. We've got tremendous teams working in the hospital setting. But out in community care, that's, that's been sadly lacking in many places across the country. And, and that's truly one of the good news stories I think that I could share out of 2023 is that we're seeing increased commitment to the patient medical home model. And just uh, just this uh, past, uh, past year, PEI invested in 10 additional 
patient medical homes that, that leverage the skill set of numerous healthcare providers to meet the needs of Canadians. Yeah. Sooner or later, if something doesn't work, you have to uh, make the adjustments that are required in order to service the uh, the clientele, the clientele being Canadians, and we need their healthcare. How much money is transferred from governments into healthcare, Dr. Ross, in Canada annually? It's a hundred plus billion, isn't it? Oh, it's a, it's it's absolutely uh, insane. If you look at the at the new investment alone, was uh, it was close to two hundred billion over ten years that was uh, that was promised just this year alone. Uh, and the big part of that is uh, is twenty five billion tailored to what we're calling bilateral agreements that's uh, provinces and territories agreeing to action plans uh, over a three year course, you know, to to develop uh, better data sharing so we can know who's doing what where to improve access to, to emergency rooms, to look at improving access to mental health and substance use, uh, and absolutely uh, creating new models of primary care that we can, uh, that we can share with our patients. That, that on its own right is an, an incredible investment this year. Mm-hmm. If you look at that number, if the average Canadian looks at that number, that massive amount of money that is directed toward healthcare, it's difficult for people to accept that there's any difficulty obtaining care across the country at all. Well, I think that's because there's a lack of uh, a lack of transparency and, and, and I would say accountability for where those dollars go. Uh, and part of that is how we share our healthcare information. How many acute beds do we have? What do they cost? You know, how many family physicians do we have? How many nurse practitioners? How many? How many of what? Doing what? Where uh, do we have in Canada? And that data is has been hard to collect because it's not uh, standardized across the country. So it's, uh, again, in 2023, a good news story. With the establishment of Health Workforce Canada, we'll be collecting and, and sharing that information on our health workforce and really looking to, to have better and shareable metrics um, across Canada. How many family physicians do you have? How long does it take to actually get uh, you know, services from mental health and substance use? How many of your priority procedures are being delivered in what we consider medically acceptable times? Uh, and you know how often do Canadians actually have access to their own records? These are all metrics that could be shared with Canadians, so they have a better understanding of what they're getting out of their public health insurance plan. Yeah, so true. So, Dr. Ross, we've talked about the challenges, and I'm going to come back to those in a few minutes. But can you just give us a sense from your position, because we like to know what the doctors are thinking? That's where the credibility is for most Canadians with doctors. Uh, what do you assess as being positive that happened in '23? I think the fact that we're having these open conversations, that the public is actively engaged in understanding healthcare and where the challenges are and recognizing it as a crisis is, has been immensely valuable. But much more important than that is that we've seen this commitment from the governments, from provincial, territorial, and federal governments to work together to identify, uh, you know, where are the where are the low hanging fruit and and begin to work with some with some sense of urgency. And of course, the bad news in that is we're not moving as fast as uh, as patients and providers need, but that commitment to actually break down our traditional silos, uh, like to call them cylinders of excellence, and work across jurisdictions to really target uh, funds where we need them to go is, is immensely powerful. Uh, we've seen you know, investment in, in our, our national plan for health workforce planning. We've seen investment in, in a plan for national uh, workforce well-being, recognizing that that's a challenge. Uh, and looking at, uh, you know, recently, I think it was $500,000 to the Medical Council of Canada 
to expand those practice-ready assessments and develop alternate pathways for internationally trained medical graduates to try and lessen barriers to increase our workforce. But we're not going to be able to recruit our way out of this, so we know we have to we have to work on, on retaining the workforce that we have uh, at the moment and increasing our training spots so that we can meet the needs over the next 10 and, and 20 years. It's all very, uh, all very promising, but it needs to move a bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, 13 health jurisdictions in this country, not exactly easily dealt with, but one of the issues that we've talked about and is still so important, and I think there's movement on this, and that is uh, patient or at least physician mobility, being able to move from one province to another and practice there when needed uh, without having to license, be licensed by that particular uh, jurisdiction. Can you, can you tell us how, how well it, it, will that work? How much of it is in place now and how well does it, do you foresee it working? So I think uh, that's a great question, and, and certainly enabling physicians to practice outside of their home jurisdiction without additional licensing requirements or the extensive paper that also goes along with that can provide us some nimble ways to alleviate pressure on the medical workforce in particularly underserved communities, and certainly looking at supporting virtual care across borders to try and get more timely access, and that's just not to family medicine. Uh, you know, once in a while, but it is uh, it's a potential enabler for specialty consultations across jurisdictions as well. Um, but we know that uh, physicians in particularly rural remote areas struggle with getting time away and time for, for family matters, time for education. So this is, this is one of the ways that we would deal with this. The Atlantic Registry established earlier in 2023 allowed mobility within four provinces and, uh, and certainly we need to have a, a good look at who's doing what, uh, where, and, and what this is enabling. We've also seen the Ontario government make legislative changes this, this past year to allow physicians from other jurisdictions that, and selected registered uh, uh, health professionals to actually come and work in Ontario without additional work. So we do need to, uh, we do need to improve uh, our mobility so that we're agile and flexible and that we can, we can go to where care is needed. Mm-hmm. It's also ridiculous to have an open spot, for example, for cancer care in, let's say, Alberta, and somebody in British Columbia or somebody in Nova Scotia is not able to go there to have that treatment. I'm not picking these provinces because they're specific to the issue, uh, but it's 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 not helpful if you can't access what's there for you and you're on a wait list. What do you say to patients across Canada? Hundreds of thousands of surgeries are still uh, postponed. What do you say to, 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 to patients across this country? We're saying, I'm not getting what I need. I'm in trouble here. My health is in serious jeopardy, and I'm not getting the care I need. What's, oh, I, what's your message yeah, to I, them? I, I agree completely, and, and Canadians deserve that stable, equitable access to, to good health care, regardless of where they live and, and certainly regardless of their ability to pay. So we have to, uh, we have to recognize that Canadians are losing faith in their, in their health care system, and I think the Canadians are losing patience with our elected officials, both at the federal and provincial level, uh, you know, to try and get, get out of these jurisdictional arguments and get down to the collaborative, to the collaborative work that needs to happen. Uh, and uh, a big part of that, as I said, was the uh, was the action plans that we were looking towards. This is this is good investment that can help address some of the needs of Canadians. And and I encourage Canadians to reach out to their elected uh, to their elected representatives and keep keep healthcare top of mind. 
so that this doesn't uh, this doesn't fall off off the page. We must improve and modernize our healthcare system now if we expect it to be there in five years. If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.